0: Welcome to Product by Design with Kyle and Eva, a
1: podcast about product management and product design
0: where we'll talk about subjects from product strategy to inclusive design
1: every episode we just have a good conversation about all the things that you may already know or not know and occasionally we'll have a guest from maybe engineering or other product managers and designers to talk about all these topics
0: all right welcome back to another episode of product by design with Kylie and eva how's it going eva
1: I think this is the first time I'm gonna say good morning. um, this is the first time we <laughs> <laughs> record in the morning, and it's it's new. It's a whole new world <laughs> yeah, so it's snowy outside, so it's pretty peaceful, but um, it's a different vibe when you record in the morning versus afternoon. I feel like it feels like the world hasn't you know gotten up, and I feel like I'm so productive right now. <laughs> I'm not a morning person if you can't tell so <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. That's that's true, especially like weekend morning. So it's like, wow, we're we're getting up, we're being productive on a weekend in the morning. So look at us. Yes.
1: And that's right. Um air five um through the internet to you and I do suspect that when you're an adult, you don't really get weekends. It's mostly like, okay, you have your other job as, you know, parent as whatever you do, you know, in life and there's no actual true weekends. Especially now nowadays, everyone has to also keep up with their internet. Um, what is that? Just the social presence online. And I'm like, when did when did people have that t- time to do stuff like that? And I guess I can ask you because you're pretty active and productive. Do you, do you do all that during your weekends? Is that one?
0: Yeah, pretty much. We actually just added another like huge project to the list this this weekend. So we started. Um, we're going to start finishing our basement. So I went and started oh, wow. buying all of the lumber and, and stuff for that. So add that one to the, all of the list of things. And yeah, weekends are basically just like stepping away from like the nine to five job right. and just stepping into like all of the other things that you don't have time for during the week. So yeah, that's, that's pretty much it.
1: Oh man, I am excited for you, but I'm tired <laughs> of he- hearing your project, <laughs> but, I'm, um, that's exciting.
0: Yeah, it's exciting. I'm already tired just thinking about it, but <laughs> yes, that's a big project. I yeah.
1: always thought like, Oh, because of YouTube and all the, you know, Pinterest, everything's like so much more accessible. So it's going to be a lot easier to get things done. And then last, um, project we did was just adding a baseball, baseball shoe to one room that was maybe like, I don't know, hundred square feet. And we're like, Oh, this is so much work. So you talk about finishing a basement. I'm like, Oh wow. That's like building the eighth wonder of the world.
0: Yeah. It's, it is not a small thing. It's going to be huge. So that's going to occupy probably a significant amount of weekend time. So just add it. I don't know. Add it to the list. Uh, I feel like one of those memes of like, it's, you know, you have all of these projects going on and then it's like, <laughs> add another one. And
1: yeah. So, okay. So here's my real complaint about just a broken promise. I, <laughs> I consider it as a broken promise. I remember like, um, I was going to say 50 years ago, but I wasn't even born, but <laughs> like you remember maybe 10, 20 years ago, everyone's like robots are taking over jobs. And then we see movies like, what is that? I robots or AI something, all the, you know, early 2000s when all the robot movies were coming out and we're like, we're not going to have to work nine to five anymore. And humans are just going (laughs) to chill. Like at the end of WALL-E, we're just going to become like 600 pounds and on a little scooter thing that scoots us around, right? What happened to that? What happened to robots working instead (laughs) of me working? Why are we still working nine to five when we're robots? What's happening to that?
0: Oh, it's not here yet, so
1: I, that is not, <laughs> no. That's not the answer I want. <laughs> uh, what happened to that promise? Is was that a promise? Um, it was a carrot dangling in front of me?
0: Yeah, maybe. yeah, yeah. We'll see. There' a lot of interesting things though happening in like AI and machine learning and and whatnot. But that's that's probably not going to help you in like finishing your basement. Like that's not the that's not the kind of robot. <gasps> that we're going to be seeing soon. It's going to be the, the right. Yeah. The, the other kind that takes over different aspects of things that.
1: Yeah. But then, well, but, but that's the point is that the robots should take over part of your nine to five. So then you work Monday to Wednesday, so you can go finish that basement because it's fun and you're doing it for you.
0: That's true. That's true. Hey,
1: it, This is my it, podium podium moment. There we go. <laughs>
0: Hey, as long as, <laughs> as, as you're willing to keep a slice of that, uh, that check coming my way, I guess I could be all exactly. right. With
1: that. But I thought that was the point of robots. It's not just keep us working it's so that we can rest more as people.
0: Yeah. And do more creative things. And exactly. Things. Yeah.
1: Exactly. So that we can all retire at 50,
0: hopefully. Sure. Yeah. That's a good utopian vision. I. I'm I'm glad you ascribed to that one. There's a lot of dystopian visions that you could (laughs) ascribe to as well.
1: (laughs) That's what I have been looking forward to is the day when they're like, we have gotten, you know, robots to, you know, work in the offices now. And now you work Monday to Wednesday. That will be the day that I, I don't know, just actually acknowledge that life is fun instead of just work. (sighs) Yeah. Man, maybe we shouldn't record in the morning. I'm getting into this like this different mindset. Usually, I ask you like, how how are things? And this is where we are. But yeah, how are you doing? <laughs>
0: Can't complain, other than all the complaining I was just doing. So, <laughs> uh,
1: I think we all got a lot to complain about. But yeah, I think robot is top of my list right now.
0: Yeah how how about you though? How's uh? You've got a whole bunch going on including a whole bunch of paintings. I think it's I see a new one behind you. Yes.
1: That actually is a very old one from okay. college days and like like I said after you start working there's no time to do hobby stuff. So yeah, that painting you're looking at from probably 8 years ago when I have time. Dang.
0: Yeah. All right. That's pretty cool. Thank you. So Thank no you. new no new ones then.
1: Not Many. I mean, I probably produce one painting like per year nowadays. So that's what I'm saying. Robots need to come do my nine to five so that I can go do more painting. I mean, painting's more fun.
0: Yeah. Unless they take over the painting.
1: Oh, that's fine. We can paint together. <laughs> like <laughs> me and the robot. But I just thought that robots were going to help out a little bit and give us more time to enjoy life. We control the robots,
0: right? Ooh, yeah. No, no. Oh no. no!
1: Well, I just know that I want to get a Roomba, so
0: so that we don't have to
1: <laughs> vacuum. So that's the next robot we're gonna get.
0: There you go. Yeah, let me know how that goes. Um, be interested. There's a. It seems like they've got a lot of good ones now. Roomba and other ones, like other brands too. So, and you need yeah. like a pet one, right? Like oh I don't know the be extra, they different? I think they have at least when we were, were looking at them a while ago. Like they the more powerful ones are like the extra extra capacity mm-hmm. ones, you know, to pick up all of the the pet fur and whatnot. Because we have a dog, so like that was a, a big thing for oh. us. is like we have to if we we're gonna get I one. i no, we have a dog. Yeah, golden retriever. So what? he sheds this he sheds like crazy. So you have to to get a, a robot vacuum, you have to get one that can pick up like tons of dog hair and that sort of thing.
1: I am surprised. I've never seen your dog popping in the background on, on zoom at all. Um,
0: Oh, he's, he's not allowed. A miracle. Up, yeah. He's not allowed upstairs. So he stays oh, wow. on the main yeah, floor. Yeah. He's a, uh, he's typically pretty good in that way. He's, he can be, uh, not so good in other ways, but he's, he stays on the main floor, which we don't have any carpet there yeah. now. So
1: oh, yeah. I see. I see. Yeah. This is probably the most like relatable, also the most boring intro that we have <laughs> done. <laughs> a lot of very relatable <laughs> complaints and also like projects and all that. But um sorry, listeners. This is this is where we're at, and it's good that we have a boring intro. That means there's no Um, murder hornets or earthquake going on i don't like exciting intros but we'll try to be more entertaining but that's that's where i'm at in the morning so here we here we here we are Mm -hmm. um there's no way to segue from here to into our topic today is there there's not (laughs) um man only if a robot can help me
0: with this segue
1: but well what are we talking about today
0: So, a really, an interesting topic, I think it's interesting, and hopefully a little bit controversial, Uh, user personas. You may use them, you may love them, you may hate them, Uh, you may not know what they are, hopefully you know what they are, but we're talking about user personas. A little bit about the history, what they are, the good, the bad. So, that is our topic for today. We wanted to jump in with a little bit of the history of user personas, where did they come from? So first off, Eva, maybe you could tell us what is a user persona? Like if, if somebody doesn't have any idea what they are before we even get into the history of it, like what is a user persona?
1: Um, I think the most simple way to, to describe what a persona is, is basically a, a profile of, of a user, right? And that should represent a segment of your users. And there are multiple ways to put together personas. And some people use like multiple personas to, you know, have a set of personas and some teams use just uh, one or two. It depends on really um, the scope of what you want your persona, you know, to be because of the goals that you have for having these personas. Right. Um, but yeah, I think the most simple way to look at it is user profiles that will help you to understand better who you're designing for, who you're building this product for. And it, um, includes a bunch of attributes about, you know, your user base and it's anyways, before I dive way too much into it, that's the short answer.
0: <laughs> okay. Perfect. Yeah. No, yeah. oh, that's perfect. So, uh, I thought this was pretty interesting. And maybe that's just me, but user personas, they've been around for, for, for quite some time and, you know, maybe you've used them, maybe you haven't, but, uh, so they were kind of being developed in multiple different ways, like in the kind of in the nineties for UX specifically. So Alan Cooper, if you're in like product, product design or software development, you're probably familiar with Alan Cooper. And he was designing software in the 80s and 90s and was he kept running into kind of this problem that uh, like the software just was really crap it wasn't very usable and so started to play around with this idea of like well what if we used some people to think about how they might use this software and make it better and so that is basically what he did. So he was he was designing some software, he was building it, and started to just talk to a few people who were using it, and would walk around a golf course apparently, and think about you know these uh, profiles of people he was talking to, and started to kind of put them together into uh, a conglomerate of a person, and that is kind of where we we attribute UX personas back to that. like, And he wrote in his book, and I have it here on, on my shelf, Inmates Are Running the running the Asylum. That Great per- name, by the yeah, way. Yeah, love, love that name. Personas are not real people, but they represent them through the design process. They are hypothetical archetypes of actual users. Personas are defined by their goals. So uh, he was kind of developing that concept. At the same time, there's another per- person named Angus Jenkinson, who is developing like the same concept for, uh, marketing, uh, for buyers and users and ad hoc personas, um, just basically creating like imaginal or fictional characters to represent buyers or segments or communities also in the nineties. So, uh, ad teams were starting to do this. UX teams were starting to do this and it started to just kind of take off like, Hey, let's, you know, let's kind of create these personas or these profiles and use them either in our marketing or advertising or in our design and see if that kind of helps us uh, more in our targeting or more in our thinking. And so that is kind of the genesis of Mm -hmm. personas, or at least where we attribute it to. I imagine there were teams or people doing it before, but that's kind of a little bit of the history of where they come from.
1: Funny you said that uh, just now, because this morning I was thinking about it. Is like, this idea is not it's not complicated, right? It's a user profile that represents a segment of your yep. users. Right. Um, but Alan Cooper, when he wrote his book, definitely like put it out, you know, into the world. And yep. sometimes I feel like, okay, what if you're at home thinking about the same idea? And then you see this book come, comes out and you're like, Oh my goodness, that could have been me. But um, yeah. Any ideas that just sit in your head is worth nothing. Put it out there, everybody. Um, but yeah, that, that I think, it's very interesting that it started really not that long ago. Cause that book, if I am looking at the right year, it's 1999 when it came out, right? Yep. So it was about 20 years ago.
0: Yeah. It was 30 ni- years ago. Yeah. 98 or 99. Yeah, that, 20 years that ago. Was, Sorry. <laughs> uh, 20, a little over 20 years ago.
1: Yeah. So I think it's, a, it's also interesting that Alan Cooper, he's uh, not a UX person, like he, he, anytime when you Google him, um, his title is a software engineer. And I think it's very, very beautiful that um, people think like, oh, UX is done by UX person. And then um, here's Ellen Cooper putting out great ideas, you know, as a software engineer. And he actually has done a lot of work in the UX realm. Um, so I think it's interesting that he's often referred to, but like, Oh, software developer. And I'm sure like in his circle, like people know and stuff, but on the internet, I keep seeing software developer, but definitely, definitely a UXer definitely yeah. in, in the circle.
0: Yep. For sure. For sure. So that's, so we got we've got a little bit of the history. So let's talk a little bit about how to do personas. Just like, a little bit of the basics and then we'll talk a little bit about some of the things that they're good for. But Eva, if we wanted to do personas, if we wanted to put together like a persona, what would, Mm -hmm. what would we need to do in order to do that?
1: First, I would say, um, identify why you're putting together these personas. What are you trying, what are you trying to accomplish? Right. Because there are different, well, there's a spectrum of personas that you can, you can, um, create and, um, So let's say if you're having a very high level goal of like deciding a general direction of what type of people are going to use your product or like very, you know, um, what's a good example? Like the tone and voice of your messaging and this kind of like very high level decisions, I would say um, you're definitely looking at something that is like a broader scope of personas, right? And you're looking at, you know, maybe multiple personas to represent a user, you know, uh, different user groups that might end up, you know, touching your product or touching different points of your business. Right. Um, and, and also there might be project you trying to use personas to define something a lot more specific, right. Uh, it can be for a specific task within your product. And in, in that, in that way, you want a more narrow scope for your persona that you're trying to create. So first definitely look at what you're trying to accomplish and in the book, um, the user experience team of one, it talks about doing proto personas. That's probably the quickest way and the cheapest way to create personas. And proto personas, um, as I you know talk about how, I actually will talk about three different types of personas that you, you can create. But proto personas are supposed to be very quick. If your team's very small and there's not enough time to really for you to go... Do a ton of research, but based on your existing research, you can probably come up with some personas uh, that represent you know the, who your users are, but um, not requiring new research. Right, and I would say even though if, if you have a team of people already looking into your user group, let it be a group of you know UX people on your team, or even just anybody on the product team that have you know some level of uh, knowledge about your users, you're able to do it. I don't want this because it's a tool. Like it sounds like, Oh, I need to have specific knowledge, how to do it in order to do it. Right. Um, that is not true. Um, personas can be very easily created. So look it up, try it out. Um, and yeah. And there's also personas that you can create based on, you know, small scale, uh, research and they're, Most of the time, qualitative research, trying to find out um, shared attributes uh, amongst that one group of users or if you have a second group, third group, and you're just basically kind of trying to generalize um, and, and find patterns within each of the groups and summarize that into each of the persona. So it is not uh, rocket science. And it's also not, uh, I would say, sometimes you can argue that it's not a super scientific process. So which I think you and I can talk more about that in a second. Um, Or you can, uh, if you have the resources and the time and the budget, do personas that are uh, statistical. So that means that involves not just small scale research, but also looking at quantitative data into Okay, what let's say I have five hundred people that I can survey, and which is a pretty large sample size that you can build your personas uh, with, right? But that, again, it's pretty expensive. And that's the one that I don't think is the most helpful because if you have that budget and 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 time to do it, I personally think you should do something else with that money <laughs> <laughs> and time. But um, this is the one that large organizations definitely have a lot more. Luxury to do stuff like that. Like that, there's a reason why Amazon, Facebook, everyone is serving you the perfect ads and and knowing what you want. And um, I mean, there's a lot more they're doing on top of personas too. But I am willing to put a dollar down that they have a lot of those work done with a lot of research. So that was kind of a long answer to yeah your question. But yes, they're uh, the most important part of this process. I think is definitely identifying goals of why you're doing personas before you get started.
0: Yeah. yeah. I think, I think that's exactly right. Um, why you're doing them because, and we'll probably get into this. We will get into this in a minute, but personas aren't the, the end all solution for everything. (laughs) And so you've got to know like what you're trying to accomplish with them and why. So with that, Mm. there's some, at least in my opinion, there's like some good and some bad. About Personas. You listener may feel the same. You may have strong opinions about personas. I know I've got some strong opinions about personas, but let's talk first about what they are good for, because despite some of their what I think are some shortcomings in them, I think that they do have some some good things as well, especially if you you understand why you're doing them and you do those things well. So Eva, we'll start with you. What are some good things about personas? I've got a list too. So um, what, what are some good things yes. about personas?
1: Um, the first one I want to bring up is actually you just uh, uh, made a comment about this is that it's not the end all, which can be the bad, but the good part about that comment that you just made is because personas are describing your, your target audience, your user group, mm. right? I think it's ideal place to start um, when you're trying to idea for a solution or start a conversation. So I love using personas to talk about like, okay, who are we trying to solve this problem for? Right. And putting that in front of a discussion, I think it helps everyone to focus on um, not designing for yourself and also understanding, okay, what does this person need? Even though it, it, that. I keep wanting to go into the bad already, but (laughs) I'm going (laughs) to stay with with the good. Um, I think it helps other team members to empathize with the user's problems, um, which is very, very hard to do sometimes, I think, because you're talking to different team members, right? And not all of them are day in, day out, uh, putting uh, empathizing user, which is the UX person's main job, right? I, I would say. And... I, I think it facilitates conversation to go into a way that is very productive. Yeah. So that's the top thing, I think.
0: Nice. I think you kind of touched on so I, I put down four things. And I think you <laughs> kind of touched on like I was as I was listening, I was like, Oh, you're kind of touching on all of them in some way. So like the four things for me were one, and you touched on this, um, it aligns everyone around our user. So it it's it helps us not design for ourselves, but focuses everybody around the fact that, Hey, we have a user. It's not us. It's other people and helps us focus on that. So like this, this, we're not designing for Kyle. We're not designing for Eva. We're designing for other people and it makes sure that we have the focus there. And then you also kind of touched on this one. Like it makes something that is abstract, like much more concrete. So we have lots of information. And we're able to kind of take that and uh, all, a lot of things that are just kind of floating out there and and put it in a much more concrete way. So people can look at it who aren't necessarily in the day-to-day and understand it. And, and this kind of flows into my my third one, which is it aggregates a lot of the information, especially if it's UX or product doing a lot of that uh, that work. And it puts it into a much more digestible format so you know if the engineering team or if stakeholders who aren't involved in the process the the research and design process like if they're not involved in that on a day-to-day basis it makes that information much more digestible so Mm -hmm. they can see like okay here's the the persona of the users and uh just makes it easier to understand like okay i i can see who we're designing for and i can see what Um, what is important and why we need to be thinking about these different things and, and see all of the different pieces of information that, you know, maybe a a researcher or designer has been out gathering in a much more digestible format. Yes. And yeah. And then the last one was, I was going to say like the, the, something that they're really good for, I think is the exercise themselves. So like the actual creating of them. So not even necessarily, this will get into kind of the flow into the the bad, but um, (laughs) the, the act of creating them rather than the creation themselves. So doing it and which is why I think doing it as a group uh, and involving everybody is more important than actually have like having them created and referring to them so that um, everybody understands like why, why you have them. And it's, it's more of the process of doing it rather than actually having a persona and just being like this is our persona and it's done um anyway th- those are the things that i think they're valuable for as opposed to some of the the problems that yes. they might cause
1: well i almost can smell from a mile away that your list is almost identical to mine <laughs> <laughs> so far um but yeah uh, i i do want to address well, further address what you mentioned about like not designing for just one person, not just for you, not just for me, is that it eliminates a lot of the assumptions that we have in the process of like, oh, of course, you know, the button needs to be here because that's what I would push, right? And, but is that same for people that you're designing for? Because there's, you know, a spectrum of all people, right? And this idea is actually not something that is just um uh, living within the world of creating personas, right so in Don our favorite person right Don Norman um okay. he when yeah. when he wrote his book the design of everyday everyday things um he actually talks about how designer system uh, which is built by engineers and the users we all have our own models of what we expect this thing to do, and it can be three different very um and result that we're expecting, which whose mental model is most important in this case, definitely the user. So um, when the designer, uh, the design model doesn't match up with the system model, that's one problem that we can figure out behind the door, but then (laughs) everything that comes out in the product needs to match up with the user's mental model, right? So it's basically making sure we're designing for the right audience, not the engineer. Not the designers, not the product manager, but the users. Yep. So yeah, really love that. Um, I know that there's a diagram that he put in the book too. Maybe we can find it and add it to the show notes. But back to the list. So another one, I want to push it one step further too. And what we mean by like designing for all people is that with personas, you're able to understand your users' pain points and their expectations of what it should do, right? And the uh, expectations. Expectations also towards the behavior of your product of what this, you know, persona expects your product to do, which, you know, really represents a group of your users. And then you can understand what the key workflow that your user group is actually doing uh, and what they're trying to achieve. And these are very, very um, tangible things that we have to um, look at when we're designing a product and talking about how to solve a problem for them. And persona is just a means to give you all these information
0: to me. Yep. So that's
1: kind of how I see it.
0: Uh, Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. And again, it just, it can make it a lot easier to help everybody understand and align everybody. uh, And especially if they're part of the process. So.
1: Oh, speaking of being part of the process, I do think that persona is probably one of the harder things to talk about with stakeholders in my own experience because I do think that this can come off very much like, well, we know our audience. Why do we have to create a fake persona? But it really is not a fake persona. It does represent... It just categorizes your user group. It helps you to put one person in front of you that represents big bigger data um, but that conversation to me, it's always like, Ooh, how do I frame this when you try to do it with a team? Yeah. So that's maybe just my personal, um, fear and also something I'm trying to get better at, better at when talking about personas. I think personas is not a difficult concept, but it's uh, more intimidating to pull stakeholders into out of yeah. all things that you have to talk to them about.
0: That makes sense. All right. So we've talked about the good. I don't know if you have anything left good to say. <laughs> All, right.
1: All right. I think when it comes to the good list, that is it for me.
0: Okay. <laughs> All right.
1: I have some neutral items too. Can we okay. go through that before yeah. we get into what, the
0: bad? What are Yeah, what are some neutral <laughs> items? Neither good nor bad.
1: Um, neutral items. <laughs> Number 1 is that they're qualitative usually mm-hmm. again, unless you're Amazon, but um which again is a neutral fact that they're qualitative. Wow. I think that's it. Okay. Let's go into the bad.
0: Okay. (laughs) All right. So really try to
1: like postpone talking (laughs) about the bad, but
0: let's let's do it. All right. We're going to put some cards on the table here just on, on personas in general. We've used personas at at a couple different places that I've worked in and I've used them in a, a number of different ways. I've, I've tried to like really, use them and like them i've just i've never been totally on board with them and so like cards on the table there and for and i think it's for some of these harder reasons like i just i think in theory personas can be like a good tool but i think in practice they often they can fall short and so like some of these Mm reasons like why where they're not good i think they can tend to dominate some of the the reasons why they are good so with that here i guess here are some of the the ways that at least i see that personas are are just not as useful and the the first one for me like the reason one of the main reasons is that i i feel like they're almost a lazy uh, solution in that, like and this kind of encompasses a couple different things. Uh, in that you've uh, you feel like you've done something but you haven't done like the hard thing. So like the easy <laughs> thing is to create a and like in in theory, like creating a persona is like deep difficult work. In practice, I feel like you can take the easy way out and be like super lazy about it, which is what oh, I feel I like see. often happens. Where you're just like, okay, we're going to create personas so that we can have it done. And then we'll just refer back to our personas. And like, it's it's the fact that you have it done that is the most important thing. Like as an organization, oh, like okay. we, we have personas, we have done, like we've done the work. We're not going to do it anymore. And like that for me is a huge, like a huge problem. Like it's a, a checkbox like we've done yes. the persona work. That's where I, I feel like it's a lazy thing um, as opposed to like actually ongoing understanding because I feel like your like users and this kind of goes into another area, but like users and your company are like an ongoing, a wax, like philosophical, like you're a river <laughs> flowing And when you do personas in that way, it's like a a single static moment in time. And so without an ongoing process, you've basically just gone and been like, here it is, here's the thing. And now it's done. We'll just force everybody to kind of refer back to it like we've done the work and we're not going to do any Mm. more work. And so that for me is like a super lazy, lazy way out as opposed to like ongoing A way to aggregate, kind of like we said, the good thing would be to like aggregate your research, to you know, use it as an ongoing way to like aggregate more research and to just learn and adapt. And like if you have to change things. So anyway, that's that's where I feel like there's a, a gap and a huge problem. It's like it's a it can be a lazy way out of actually doing some of the harder things, which is like really understanding actual users and really understanding potential users in a deep, meaningful way.
1: I can hear people flipping tables right now, (laughs) like not commuting, but at their home office, just like, how dare you say that? (laughs) But um, I think the reason of why there's a list of like the bad, you know, about persona is like, we can flip that around and say, how can we make sure that it is, you know, implemented and applied in a way that is productive, right? Because I, I see what you're saying by like, oh, it can be very lazy because I I think that that problem to me comes from creating a persona behind closed door where mm-hmm. when you don't involve your team members or stakeholder to be part of that process, which again, like I mentioned a second ago, it's that it feels difficult to ask everybody to do something that they think is your job. But at the same time, it is something that we really need to be on board that, yes this is the persona that represents our, you know, user group for this project. Right. And also referring back to what I mentioned at the beginning is that without a goal of why we have these personas, it's going to become very much like, uh, we did it. Like you said, Kyle, like (laughs) checked it off the list and, and why do we need it? We don't really know. And that becomes, you know, the, I, to me, I agree that's probably the biggest problem when it comes to personas. It feels like we don't need it. We can use it. Is that, you know, really um, the problem of this method itself? Um, I think it's debatable. I don't think it's the method itself, but I, I think it's a lot of the times we don't know what to do with it and it becomes unproductive. Um, and, and so, yeah, I'll leave it at, at that. But I do agree that there's not a way to say you have done your persona correctly right when you are done with it right um because there's not a very very direct way to test out your persona like you can test out a solution right can't really put it on (laughs) usertesting.com and be like oh is this design correct When, when it comes to personas but i do want to say that personas try to create them in in uh in a room with other people again that goes back to like it's it's difficult i'm not saying it's easy um and be very clear on how the team can use persona and what it should you know dictate but yes it can it can be one of those things that you did it and you kind of forget about having done it <laughs> yeah yeah when you don't know what to do with it
0: yeah yeah and again it goes for me it goes to just it's in theory it's one of those like very useful and very good things in mm-hmm. practice. It's just, it can often fall short, especially when you're, you're looking at, you're looking at it as like, can we, can we check this box or can we be done right. with it as opposed to like, can we implement this as a practice of understanding yes. and how do we, how do we make sure that we're getting meaningful use out of something like this. And that's where just like the difference between the theory and the practice, I, I feel like is often a wide gap. Yes. I
1: just want to give some real talk. Cause that, that came up as a me telling Kyle, like you just don't know how to use it. That's what you think it's bad. <laughs> that is not where I'm coming from because I, in my personal, well, my experience in my career too, there are times where I'm just like, yes, I know this is the persona. Let's just do it. And it, then, you know, doesn't go anywhere. I, I've done that because it's very, I think creating persona, the hardest part is really getting other people to be part of that conversation to create something that has has leg in the process, right? Because again, uh, when people don't know what to do with it, they toss it and be like, well, yeah, we did that two years ago. That was great. But that was the end of it. And so, yeah, um, I, I I definitely have, experience that 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 issue <laughs> in my own practice and
0: yep. i'm just i'm really especially lately have been thinking a lot about the difference between theory and practice and um mm. i'm just i'm getting uh more than slightly annoyed not here on our podcast but just <laughs> with a lot of just just annoyed a lot because especially you see a lot of that sort of thing with, you know, here's how the ideal should be. Um, Mm. You see it a lot on like Twitter. You see it a lot in books. You see it a lot in like conference talks and you're like, yeah, that would be the ideal. But like down here on the ground, it's never going to be like (laughs) that. So if you're like, I agree with like what the ideal would look like, but if you think that that's the way it's ever going to be like you've, you've been too far removed from the way things actually work for too long. So anyway, that's just been like, I top love of
1: that. Line. This, this is a new podcast, uh, a talk by Kyle and Eva. Yeah. This is very real. It's like all these tools and practices that we have and textbook theories and stuff, if they are so idealistic in a way that you cannot understand how to apply it, like these ideas and these theories are worth nothing. Right. And sometimes that's how I feel after I come back from a conference, kind of, maybe that's what you were getting at. It's Mm -hmm. like, they sound really cool, but how do I actually make it happen? And a lot of the time too, it's like you as one person cannot make it happen. Ooh, actually this come back full circle because earlier, I actually forgot to follow this up to my point is that this is why it's so important to have a UX infused organization, because at the end of the day, like things like persona, if you are the only one person who believes in UX in your org, and they're like, "Mm, whatever, you can do it all yourself in that environment. These tools are never going to be, uh, reaching their full potential to what they can do for you. If you're the only one person who wants to, or, 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 understands how to do it. And, that's also why I do see UX practice as a almost like religious, like preaching to other people, (laughs) what this is all about and they have to participate because at the end of the day, you're not the only one person making decision decisions for your users. Right. Um, And that also, eh, that's another conversation. But again, um, I think that maybe we can summarize the problem to like, if your organization is not, as UX infused as, you know, it can be personas become maybe a hard conversation to have because people are like, why am I in this conversation? I thought that was your job. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. So, Yep. So yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's, that was a little, it's a little bit of a tangent, but it's a good tangent. Maybe we should do a whole episode yes. on like how to, uh, how to really, well, that's kind of like all our episodes. Like, how do you, how do you, oh, yeah. really, how do you really do it? But maybe we'll just like, do an episode on like teardown of the ideal and like here here's here's yes. real. I don't know. With what else? Yeah, with personas. Um I, I guess some of the other things is we just we tend to be far too broad, at least in my experience, mm. with what we're trying to include. So like this gets back to your point of like being very specific about what we're doing and why, and only focusing on that and including what's relevant to kind of what we're trying to accomplish. I've, i found that to be just a huge problem, like trying to uh, include in personas, both make personas that are broad enough to kind of capture everything that we could want um, to do with it. And then also including in personas, things that are just yes. totally irrelevant. So like <laughs> if your persona has like a demographic type stuff and demographics really aren't important to your product like you've totally missed like what oh. what you should be doing there's a good chance that like age ranges and like likes and dislikes and that sort of stuff are probably not important to what your like what your persona is unless you're very very specifically like that's very specifically relevant to your product like that's not what it's easy that that sort of stuff is easy probably to capture and to put into a persona, but it's not like most of the time that's not going to be relevant to like what you need. Like you don't need to know that like, you know, Mark is a, you know, a 40 year old it professional. Like what does that have to do with what they are (laughs) trying to accomplish with your product? Like that is, you know, who likes sports? Like unless you're building like an it sports app or something like that, like, that is probably totally irrelevant. And so those types of things like, you know, really focusing right, right, on like right. why, why is it important and what are you trying to capture and that sort of thing. So those are the types of things that it's easy just because almost going back to the history of personas and that's kind of why we touched on it a little bit because personas had kind of that dual history of like UX and advertising kind of happening at the same time. Marketing, yeah. In marketing and advertising, like those demographics are more relevant just because you're targeting ads to specific demographics and things like that. In UX and design, like you're not really targeting your product to, or especially like your design to specific demographics in that way. And so capturing it isn't really relevant, or most of the time isn't going to be relevant.
1: To flip that on the other side too, I do think that compared to the way marketing and ads, you know, advertising use target audience, right? I, I think it's for us doing personas is actually also a lot easier to do because there is a group of real people who are already using your product. So like when you're creating a persona, like we shouldn't have to look outside of that existing mm-hmm. group or like, you know what I mean? and And that's also why we can actually use research and... Actual data, let it be, you know, qualitative, quantitative, if you have that budget um, to support why the personas you have created are actually like, oh, they represent real people versus people you're, I mean, you can use persona to people you're trying to reach to. But that, I, I think the way we split that group is a kind of exact opposite of marketing and advertising because they haven't captured the audience yet in a way. Anyways.
0: Yep. I I think that's exactly right. And that's and that's kind of where I have traditionally struggled with personas is especially when they become like stagnant in some way. Like if if you create it and just use it, that's where it becomes totally disconnected for me. Like when I'm talking to users on like an ongoing basis and a persona has kind of been like a created thing that is almost enshrined in some way which has been the case at in like various circumstances then it becomes almost like that's that's old and i don't like i don't have any reason to refer to it because i'm like i'm focused on new on like our existing users and customers and like potential customers and things like that and in my mind that like takes the place of this of anything that we've created and then all of a sudden like there's this dichotomy between the two and one is useful to me and one isn't. And if you're going to do it like you you know, not having this point in time persona that then becomes, you know, something that is outdated and and not very useful, but actually using yes. what new information you're collecting and and gathering yes. to inform that ever flowing, ever changing persona yes. and updating it and keeping it current with all of that type of stuff, like that would be a useful tool, but if if you've kind of created it as like a thing that you don't want anybody to be changing or or anything like that, that's when which is often the case, that becomes bad. Like that's a bad use of it, at least in my opinion.
1: I also want to clarify what I mentioned, uh, what I just said a second ago about like, oh, marketing is using it to capture audiences that is not a customer yet. Right. Which mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that we don't do that in the US world because we do, you know, design a product that is not launched yet and we still need persona to design to. Right. Yep. But the one thing that we 100% need to do is that like use the persona to figure out ways to um, uh, use that persona again, representing a real group of users that you're trying to retain. That is more useful way to use persona um, to me, because it's a much more specific task that you're trying to design uh, a solution to. But I, yeah. So, so back to what you were saying too, is that it requires updating a persona is a living, living document Mm -hmm. in a way that um, in Actually, this is what I found out too in Norman Nielsen Group's article uh, about persona. One of the many that I <laughs> looked <laughs> up. But they surveyed 156 user experience professionals, right? And they asked like, how often do you guys update your personas? And half of the, well, nearly half of the respondents uh, said, say that they do it every one to four years to be honest, that's a pretty wise. (laughs) I want to know within that, you know, uh, nearly half, like within that, like doing it every year is very different than doing it every four years. So I kind of wish that they slice it a little bit more, but that, that, uh, uh, one to four years, I think it's healthy. Hopefully it's two years. I think that's a sweet spot. And the rest of the respondents are like, yeah, we do it quarterly or more frequently, which I think it's kind of, wow, that's a lot of work for something else that you can put that time into. But I, I, I am interested in knowing those people, like, tell me more, what, how, how you're updating this so frequently. And then there's also 26% of respondents saying that they make revisions uh, around like, at the five-year mark or not at all, which those ones are the ones that I'm like, hmm, interesting. Um Cause that's a long time <laughs> <laughs> anyways. Um, yeah. Cause like behaviors shift and what people expect change. And, and I don't know how you can expect the persona to last that long. Yeah. Um, but, and another item on my list of the bad is when you're creating a persona, it is um, again, unless you're doing st- statistical personas, you are basically sampling a segment of users that you think represent your, you know, entire uh, or that specific segment of the user group that you're trying to create a persona for. And with that, especially with like, I don't know, proto personas, uh, that kind of methods that is a little faster. You don't really know if you are over-representing personas that, might be only a smaller you know the minority of your user group you cannot say okay sarah the uh impromptu shopper i can't remember there's a more specific name to that but the impulsive buyer is 70 mm-hmm. of, of of people we serve like you don't know if they are really 70 percent of your user base right um so so you just, persona wisely because also when you rely on persona too much and forget about other tools that are also very useful, you have a great start using personas, but then it doesn't lead to the true answer just using personas alone because you can test out your solutions and you have to do it through usability testing and other, you know, more scientific scientific method to actually validate, validate your solutions, which... <laughs> cannot just use personas so it's a good start but not the end yeah it's a what is that what does that say means to the end but it's not the entire process
0: yep cool so yeah all right i think we've touched on a lot of the problems with personas at least in some of my experience did you have did you have any other like bad or problems with personas (laughs)
1: We went through a lot of it and I guess, no, I think we laid it all out. Um, Real talk by Eva and Kyle. Yeah. About personas. But yeah, I, again, just remember you're sampling. Yeah. It's not 1000% of your, of your people that you're trying to design for. But again, this is why sometimes I'm like, should we end on the good (laughs) versus the bad? (laughs) Um, Because personas are good for making um, first I guess, draft of your solution. So, and also use it to continue to use it as a guiding light, I would say, actually.
0: Yeah. So in that same vein, so there, I think that there are some good uses for it. And there are Mm -hmm. also some other good tools or methods that I think are out there to kind of help with, you know, kind of these persona, persona problems. So you've talked about, like, if you are going to do it, you know, do some of these things rather than just. Rather than just create it and forget it or create it and never visit it, like actually, you know, think about it, have people involved. One thing that uh, we've used that that I've used that I like is, you know, actual like user journey maps and customer journey maps. So like, you know, rather than kind of a, you know, here is a person and here's what they want and let's create kind of a a fake persona or kind of an aggregate persona, like actually going through and just mapping out, like what does the entire experience look like? And mm-hmm. um, that doesn't have to be like an either or, but using that as a tool to kind of really understand what the holistic experience looks like. And you may get additional insight out of that, or you may even like discover different uh, personas kind of within that you know that entire map. And another one that uh I I haven't used this one yet, but this is actually one that I, I really like is archetypes. Uh so I was I was doing a bunch of reading about this one, which is similar in personas, but it's not really about kind of creating a specific person out of your research. It's creating kind of an archetype person that is more based on like behavior and motivation than you know, a single person. So like this is a a collaborator and you're kind of creating an archetype within your experience. And this is what they do for, you know, for another person like this is, for, I mean, for me, you know, this might be like, this is the solo admin who is doing all of these different types of things within um, a specific function. And, you know, these are their motivations and this is how they're thinking about different things. Like that for me feels much more like I'm not putting a name or a face or anything, but I'm much more ascribing like here's their motivations, here's what they're doing, here's their problems. And again, putting all of the research into it, but not really focusing so much on here's a person, but here's here's, <laughs> here's a, yeah, here's a here's an archetype of a person. So kind of abstracting it up out a layer. Which I like a lot. Like that for me feels more, it just feels more real than Persona. Kind of this the same idea, but I, I don't know. Kind of like, yeah, no, I No, have to give that a try.
1: I think it's interesting to bring up these other methods because sometimes like, like I mentioned, if, if these other methods work better for your team, then do it. Cause not I I think using certain methods, especially with persona, I think it's easy to bring in like, let's say, yeah, let's look at Jeff. And there are things that you are adding to the persona. It can be literally just name. Right. And when you just say Jeff, people, when the second you make it into kind of a real person, there are other judgment and prejudice that can be added to that persona. And I think that's... If, if you see that happening, maybe archetypes are better for your team when you're making decisions and that might be able to keep that less, you know, out things that don't matter in the process. Right. So yeah, I, I think personas are great, but if it doesn't work, try other things. And also the way we talk about personas kind of dictate how people use personas. So yeah, it's, it's a pretty, I think a fluid thing. It's not because it's not a, exact method of how you can talk about it with your team when it comes to actual practice and implementation. But I do uh really like the idea of putting customer journey map and persona together. I mm-hmm. think there's they are companion piece to each other, I think.
0: Yeah. So yeah, definitely. Or archetypes. I actually I, I feel like I actually think in probably more archetypes than than anything. So that for me just like feels like a natural fit. Like I don't, I don't even mm. necessarily think specifically, like we have, like we've used personas and, and things like that. And when people talk specifically in personas, like it always throws me a little bit. Cause I was, <laughs> I probably think more in almost in archetypes, like here is a kind of a subset of, right. or a group of users, like, and what are their specific problems and, and what are they motivated by? And like, what And then here's another, like, they're a larger company. They have different things that they're Mm -hmm. going through. And, like, here's kind of their, almost their archetype user that we need to be thinking about. So, anyway.
1: Now that you've put it this way, I actually think, like, at the beginning, when I talk about, like, oh, creating your persona, it can be very broad. It can be very narrow. Mm -hmm. When it comes to, like, high-level decisions, I think persona is definitely probably or what I would go to. But then with um, what you just mentioned, that can be very helpful for more specific when you're designing how a task should happen in in your product, right? More on the ground level. I think that can be very informative yeah. to what that yeah process looks like. So that cool. is everything for personas that we want to bring up. Yeah. I think anything to add?
0: No, I think that's it. So there we go. There's, there's the good, the bad. Um, how how it works in practice and some things that you can hopefully try and take yes
1: and the real talk real talk are you ready for
0: product shout out let's do it yeah do you have any shout outs or gripes
1: (laughs) this week i've been feeling well very neutral so i don't have any like strong feelings about a shout out or a gripe i'm just letting it all happen and So yeah, not picking on any anybody and also not loving anything right now, okay. just maybe it's just the morning, maybe ask me five hours later, I might have something, but right now, for the first time, not not a shout out, not a gripe for me, okay, maybe it's a step towards the good direction of me not hating on
0: anything huh, there you go all right so i'll i'll uh I'll give a a gripe to and this would have been a shout out not that long ago but a gripe to evernote which <laughs> which was my note taking app for a long time loved them because i i thought they were great and then they took a real turn so i switched to notion a little while ago cuz they uh notion is just awesome the one thing they do lack is like uh good handwriting um but what like yeah so
1: you like you mean you cannot or you can but not good enough uh
0: you can't do handwriting In in notion. Yeah. So I do handwriting in another app and then I can just copy it over and paste it into Mm. notion. So it's not like a huge deal, but, um, Evernote was good for that, but Evernote just they, for me, uh, it was just, it was good for a while, but it is not good for free. And it was just, it was never quite good enough to pay for, in my opinion. And then, and then they just went all in. Like, if you don't want to pay for it, like, I mean, they pop up like the, you know, pay for ad, like every single time you open it. And then they just kept limiting it to, uh, how many devices you could have at a time. And it was like two devices and you had to like choose. Um, and then they redesigned it and the redesign was just like it was terrible i couldn't i couldn't even navigate it it was just everything about it so i feel like evernote just totally shafted their free users in a really interesting time when you have like uh free apps like notion which are just so so good um so i i don't know i can't fully understand what exactly they were doing i guess they have some of their diehard loyalists and they have some like good premium stuff but anyway just it, i don't know no not feeling a lot of love for evernote so that that's my gripe they especially on their free maybe that i'm i mean maybe if yeah. you're willing to pay for it but it was kind of one of those things it was like uh i never wanted to go to their like full premium because it was just I, I couldn't justify that amount of cost um i could if it was like somewhere in between but it was uh, too expensive to go full premium, just no way good enough to stay in there free. And so moved to something much better.
1: I am not surprised to hear this because I think I'm pretty sure last episode I did a shout out for Notion. Yeah. And you brought up Evernote and now you're taking me back to the moment when I decided like, see ya Evernote. And I can't remember why it even was like, a breaking point for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was not as dramatic. Well, I guess not dramatic, but like significant, I should say. Um, but I see, yeah, handwriting. I know you do a lot of handwriting on your iPad when it comes to making notes.
0: Yeah. Do yeah, do a ton of handwriting. So that was that was like the best thing about Evernote. Um, but then they totally changed the design. This was sometime last year. Uh and I the re- that. the redesign, it was just totally broke everything for me. Like I could not and I was like, they pop up an ad every single time I open this thing. They won't let me have more than like two devices at a time. Which, um, I mean, it's my iPad, my phone, and my computer. And I was like, I can't, I cannot operate <laughs> in this. So it was like I'm, I had been dabbling yeah. in Notion. I'm like, I'm just, I'm migrating everything over to Notion, which was a pain. But um, yeah, oh, Notion's yeah. just, it's way, it's way, way better. It's way easier, and you know, you have all of the they're not like trying to get you to subscribe like every single time you open the app or limiting what you can do oh, and stuff. So yeah.
1: Right. And I think if you do put out a feature set, that makes sense for people that want to pay for it. It's like, yeah, I want these things. Give me those things instead of the very persistent, like, give me money, give me money.
0: Yeah. That's the thing for me. Is like I make it so that I want to buy want it, it as opposed to make like, you know, just lock it down to the, to the point where it's like, Uh, I can't do anything unless I pay for it. Like that's, I don't know that for me is like the opposite approach. Like that, that will drive me away to find something else as opposed to like, Hey, I can do everything I need to, but man, this is just so good. I want to pay you. That's where, that's honestly like the approach I'm like headed with notion. Like it's just so good. It's like, dang, this is, it is feeling so good that it's like, I'm almost like wanting to pay just cuz like hey, I want this app to be there for a long time. So, like how do I how do I start paying for it? That's that's so, the kind of loyalty you want in in users. Yeah. Like not not like give us money or you can't get your stuff on on your computer cuz you have to pick your phone and your iPad.
1: I think this is a very valid gripe. I support yeah. and upvoted.
0: Yeah. You you and reminded like- me of that gripe when we talked <laughs> about Notion last time, so
1: Um, I am looking at my Notion account and I realized one thing too, is that I have a personal account and then there was a work account. And then I realized that like they charge differently on the personal and team, which is the work one. And because I remember there was one moment, I don't know if this is intentional that I, now I kind of feel like maybe I got tricked into putting in the work account because... (laughs) it was like two weeks ago. Right. So I remember it was like, Oh, put in your work account for work stuff. And I like did it, did it. And now I'm like, Oh, the work one is $8 per month versus the personal one. <laughs> and it's now I'm like, okay, my personal one doesn't even have an option or it doesn't tell me like, you need to upgrade now versus my work one in notion. It's actually like, Oh, Hey, in the corner, not, as bad as ever now telling me to go unlimited, which I might do it. Cause I
0: mean, it's $8 a month, but wait, are you paying, are you paying for your work when that was your work paying for it? Well,
1: no, I'm, well, I mean, I might get my work to pay for it, but I was just noticing that oh, okay. it's, they didn't like, I don't have that uh, reminder to pay on my personal one in notion mm-hmm. versus the work one. And I don't know what the, really differences between the personal free one versus, you know, the work one is on our trial right now. Anyway, Still love it though.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what their monetization is. I might have to look into that and it might just be for like businesses. They do it for free for everybody and then monetize when people who love it get their work to, to start paying for it. So that seems like a good way to monetize it. We'll have to look into that.
1: Good service. And I really like it. So, oh, the, oh, now I I don't want to go into it, but I have a gripe that you reminded me of is I was using this you no know, taking app called Agenda. Mm-hmm. There's no export option. I was like ready to ditch it, and there was no export option. And then I have all my notes from user research. Yep. I'm telling you, like from f- at least 30, 40 sessions. Yep. And there was no way to get it out anywhere. And I was like, how could this be? How could this be? <laughs> but, and at that point, you're kind of like, do I lose everything or what? Keep investing into this black hole right. that you cannot get anything out of. Um, I would love to keep using it, but if you, yeah, it, anyways, that's the end of that. That's, I, I ditched it because I was like, mm, cannot keep investing into this.
0: No, no, that's, that's, that's some dark stuff when you don't allow easy exports exp- yeah. out of your stuff like don't like that
1: yeah so it feels like i'm trapped
0: yeah so yeah notion don't don't trap don't trap your users and don't don't make them feel like they have to do something i don't make them want make them love make them love what they're doing and make them love your app and
1: exactly make them champion for your for your product yeah and that is also real talk by Eva and Kyle. Yes. <laughs> it's not new ideas, but we just like it. We like that idea of not trapping your users. <laughs> How yeah. crazy.
0: Yeah. Don't don't trap your users and don't make them your prisoner. <laughs> exactly. I All like right. that. Don't make
1: them your prisoner. But anything else?
0: No, that's it.
1: Awesome. Um, tweet at us. If you have anything to say about Personas or Evernote or Notion, um, sponsor us, Notion. If you're out there, if the CEO of Notion is just listening to this and be like, yeah, that's a good
0: idea. I I would die happy. There you go. It probably is. So we'll we'll just wait for that.
1: (laughs) Keep me updated when we get that email. Okay, cool. Um, So yeah, thank you. And that's it. Goodbye.
0: See ya. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can find out more about us and our podcast on our website at productbydesign.co. You can also follow us on Twitter at prodbydesign. That's at prod underscore by underscore design. You can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Larry Evans. And you can also find Eva on Twitter at Yan See you next time.